looking uh, this evening at the first two verses in chapter 5 of Romans. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Wonderful, wonderful words. You will know, I'm sure, that the, the chapter divisions in the Bible are, are not original to the, the uh, original manuscripts, and sometimes they're not that significant. Uh, however, this chapter division is very significant. Uh, we stand now, as it were, on the mountain, justification by faith, and we look forward over the blessings that God gives those who are in a righteous relationship with him. Looking back from this mountain peak, we look over the wastelands of condemnation. Chapters 1 to 3 uh, carefully show that everyone in the world, past, present, future stands under the judgment of God. The pagan, the moralist, the Jew, all are guilty of breaking God's law. Even those people who self-righteously proclaim that, you know, uh, we don't need religion, but we have our own standards, fail to keep up the standards they profess uh, to hold. And in the end, all stands silent before God. Every mouth, Paul says, is stopped. We have nothing to say in our defense. Left without excuse before a holy God, how can we be saved? This is the question. Uh, we stand in the presence of righteousness, and our proper merit is to be condemned eternally to uh, eternal punishment. However, God has provided a way. God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world. Though eternally the son of God, he has taken on human flesh. He became what he was not. He became like us uh, in every way, except for this one great distinction. He never sinned. He never had an impure thought. He never uttered an unkind word. He never did any wrong action. All of his thoughts and words and deeds were always perfectly holy, good. And God uh, has decreed that he would take our penalty, the penalty attached to our sin by dying on the cross, and that if we have faith in him, not only will our sins be forgiven, but we will have his righteousness, that perfect life will be credited to our account. And now, Everything is different. And now we're standing on that mountain peak, this mountain peak justification by faith. And we look out on these blessings. The sun's shining in our faces. The warm breezes of heaven are refreshing us. The darkness is all behind us. We look forward now at what God has done for us. And there are these uh, the sequence of blessings unfolding in chapter 5. We're looking at the first three of these blessings in verses 1 and 2 this evening. We have peace with God. We have 
access into this grace in which we stand, we have hope of the glory of God. Three blessings. Peace, access, hope. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. First thing to say here is, this peace is objective peace, not subjective peace. By that I mean, it doesn't have to do with our feelings, primarily, although it affects our feelings. It's not about feeling tranquil, of having, uh, being chilled, feeling calm. It's about the fact that a conflict has come to an end. We are no longer under our righteous, God's righteous indignation. God is no longer opposed to us. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we no longer need fear standing before the Lord Jesus himself on the day of judgment and being condemned, consigned to hell. We can have confidence that he accepts us now because of the cross. There is no court in heaven or earth that can accuse and condemn us. God has acquitted us. The verdict of the ages has been brought forward on us. We know that what will be pronounced on the last day when we appear before Jesus is true of us now. God has acquitted us. We are justified. We are just before him because of faith in Jesus, his son. No longer condemned. That's a wonderful thought for anyone who has the faintest inkling of what the the real situation is like. Uh, To know that we have provoked a holy God. We have offended his law. We have spurned uh, his love and kindness. And we stand uh, in a relationship of hostility to, to God. What a dreadful thing to live with. Think with me for a moment of what it was like for a man called Reinhold Henning to live with moral guilt uh, for, what was it, 72 years. Reinhold Henning was a guard in Auschwitz. Uh, He kept the wheels of Auschwitz uh, revolving. He was a a, a bookkeeper and a guard in Auschwitz. He lived with the knowledge that he had never raised a finger, never spoken out in protest, never uh, removed himself from this place of atrocity. For 72 years, he lived with this guilty knowledge that one day uh, his past might catch up with him. And his past did catch up with him. And on the 16th of June, 2016, a little over two weeks ago, he was sentenced to uh, five years imprisonment for his work uh, in Auschwitz. Henning said he was ashamed that he was aware Jews were being killed but did nothing to stop it. Justice took a long time to catch up with Reinhold Henning. took 72 years to catch up with him, but he stood before a judge. All of these years he had the guilt of the, 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 the knowledge that he had done wrong. How much worse is the fact that guilty men and women will one day stand before the judge of all the earth and will be answerable for denying his lordship? Many cases, of course, people simply don't acknowledge that God could be anything other than in love with them. 
The notion that God is wrathful towards sinful people uh, is discarded by, by, by most as something that belongs to the Middle Ages. You know, it's, you don't believe that in this day and age. It's a bizarre notion for many. Before people like that can ever be converted, they need to come to a biblical understanding of the character of God, that he is a holy God, that he will uphold his own just requirements, that he will punish sin. He is passionately holy. God is not simply there to make sure everybody has a good time, but is totally serious about moral right and wrong. And only when people have come to an accurate and a realistic view of the nature of God, of the serious of their sin, can they be persuaded of the importance of knowing a saviour. And until that happens, they will seek a very different kind of peace. They may simply uh, seek tranquility through blocking out the, the kind of things that are all around us in the world that disturb our calmness or tranquility. Some try to do that through alcohol or drugs. Some try to do it through ceaseless activity to keep their minds off the underlying uh, disease in their lives. Others recognize that moral wrong is at the bottom of a lack of peace, and they will find their peace or try to find a form of peace uh, in being involved in, in various uh, moral projects. Uh, it's interesting to see often how those who become activists in politics engage in uh, their project with almost a religious fervor. It becomes very close to religion sometimes. Uh, you have all of these, these uh, core beliefs that you have to sign into if you are to be on the inside. Now, whatever that is, whether it means being uh, against the state of Israel or pro-choice or pro-gay or whatever it is, you sign up and you are... Uh, right on, as it were. You're in the core. You go to big political rallies that are like worship services with political sermons and charismatic leaders. And it's all an alternative. It's all to try to find a moral basis for the peace that can only be found through Jesus Christ. All of these things, whether it's alcohol or sports or career, politics, Whatever, whatever we seek uh, as an alternative to God will only address the emotions, the subjective lack of peace. They do nothing to address our standing with God. And this is the ultimate question. Do I have peace with God? And it's the ultimate blessing if I do have peace with God. Justification uh, is if you like, the primary blessing that we have. Everything else flows from it. There's no point in commending uh, the friendship of, of God or the, any of the, the blessings of God without, first of all, uh, knowing that someone has peace with God, that they are made right with God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified through faith, <coughs> We have one blessing, peace with God. Second blessing, we have access into this grace in which we stand. The word access can also mean uh, some uh, parts, some use of this introduction. That would make it read, uh, 
through the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained an introduction to this grace in which we now stand. <laughs> Professor John Murray uh, makes this point, that the, the leading idea in these verses is the fact that Jesus is the mediator. He's the one who brings us into this grace in which we stand. He's the one who introduces us into this grace in which we stand, into the presence of God. He gives us access. He gives us the introduction. Access uh, is an important concept uh, in our culture, to have access to somebody who's important. People will pay uh, big money to have access, to be introduced to a politician who can pull some strings, or a wealthy businessman who can make a project happen. They want to have access. They want someone to introduce them. We have security systems around our homes uh, in order to keep access restricted to those who have a right to come into our homes. We have password uh, password protected smartphones because we want to deny access to those that shouldn't have uh, knowledge of our information. There's a campaign group, Fathers for Justice, and their, uh, their complaint is that when they've been divorced, it's the wife who's taken custody of the children and they complain they don't have access to their children. They want access. They're campaigning. They're, they're uh, demonstrating for access. One of the stories in the Old Testament that uh, illustrates in a powerful way the, the notion of having access uh, to the king and beyond the earth, the king to the heavenly king is, of course, the story of Esther. Esther takes place at the time when the Jewish people have been uh, sent into exile. The Babylonians had conquered them. Uh, Esther's living in Persia in the time of uh, King Xerxes. King Xerxes has uh, fallen out with his, his wife, uh, Vashti, and has taken Esther uh, to be his bride. Esther, uh, who had simply been uh, a lowly uh, Jewish girl, Sometime later, she's told by her uncle Mordecai that there is a plot to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Persia. He pleads with her to intercede with King Xerxes. There's a problem. According to the, the Persian law, no one may come uninvited into the presence of the king. Access is barred until the king indicates his good pleasure by extending his scepter. Esther says, I can't possibly do this. Mordecai says, uh, consider that you have been raised up by God for such a time as this. Esther says, well, go and pray and fast and tell the people to pray for me also. And after a time of preparation, remember Esther goes uh, and approaches the king and the king sees her and King Xerxes is enthralled by Esther's beauty and he extends the scepter and she has access into the presence of the king and she can plead for her people. Well, friends, once our access to the king was cut off because of our sin, we could not enter God's presence. Our sin made us liable to death. To come near a holy God was, was, to let, was like bringing a, a, a petrol-soaked rag into the, the presence of a, a blazing fire. 
rendered us combustible. The law declared against our access, but God has provided a mediator. God has provided one who brings the introduction, gives us access. We are introduced into this grace in which we stand. This grace in which we stand. What is this grace? Well, clearly it's referring back to what is preceded, so we're still talking about the grace of justification, justification by faith. That's the grace in which we stand. Um, There are so many things which flow from this, so many other graces, and Paul will be treating them later. Justification is the the basic uh, privilege of the Christian. If we're not justified, we have none of the other blessings. But he'll talk later on about adoption, which is the the chief blessing, the highest blessing, the greatest privilege. And, of course, that implies access, doesn't it? Just as a child has access to a parent, we have this blessed access. And Paul's going to be coming to that shortly, a boldness of access. But we have access into this world of grace. We're standing uh, in a new environment because of what Christ has done. We have been introduced by our friend into this grace in which we stand. When I think of uh, this idea of being introduced to blessings, uh, my mind goes back to uh, the year 2000 when I made my first trip uh, to visit the Karen people in Thailand. And I went out, uh, my first visit, I went out with uh, friends who were doing medical work. Uh, Frank Green, who's an eye surgeon and has gone out umpteen times and will conduct a hundred operations each visit and he had his, his friend, a GP, Philip, and another uh, guy who helped him called Tom. And we went out together and on this occasion I went on my own into the, the refugee camp and I was there for two weeks helping in the teaching program in the Bible school. And then at the end we joined up together. And because of the way the schedule worked, I had to, to, to leave the, the camp and go straight down to Bangkok and had no time to get into a hotel and get freshened up or anything like that. And arrived feeling uh, pretty tired and grimy. However, because Frank had been such a regular uh, traveller out to Thailand, he accumulated all these points, which meant that he was upgraded to business class. And he was able to introduce me as a guest to the business class lounge. Unfortunately, not to the business class cabin on the plane, but to the lounge, the business lounge. I tell you, that was a world of grace. To, to go as somebody who was feeling completely run down and, and grimy and to go into the showers that they had in the, in the lounge and to have the, the, the lovely, fluffy Egyptian cotton towels and the, 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 all of the complimentary potions and all the rest of it there, and then to come out and to relax and to unwind and to have coffee and orange juice on top. Wonderful. A well of grace. But it was only made accessible to me because I had someone who introduced me to this world. Someone whose world it was by rights, who signed me in. This is what Paul is saying we have because of Jesus. We have access through him into this grace 
this world of grace, this environment of blessing, of intimacy, of delight, because of what Jesus has done. And we are now, he says, standing in this grace, this grace in which we stand. It's not an uncertain position that we take. We're confirmed in it. There's uh, no hesitancy, no ambiguity about the fact that we are in this world. Our queen grants access on occasion to people to come into our presence. Of course, it's under very carefully monitored circumstances. There will be heightened security. People will be keep, keeping an eye on those who are in her nearer company. And those who come know that it's for a duration, and after a time uh, they'll leave her, and they'll no longer be able to presume on introducing themselves again. But her family are in a different situation. And so, so Charles and Anne and, and Edward, and Andrew, they are in a relationship to the Queen in which they stand. So they don't need to keep an eye on the, on the clock when they're in her presence. And they, they don't need to fear that the security are going to usher them out of her presence. They're confirmed in their access to the Queen. And we stand in that kind of uh, relationship to God because of what Jesus has done. And therefore, it's a slight to our God when we fail to come boldly before his grace, when we doubt him, when we raise questions on his word, when we raise all kinds of objections about our fittingness to come into his presence, to come into the Lord's table. When we do these things, we're looking to our own righteousness rather than grace. To come in faith is to come boldly. Not hesitatingly, not half-heartedly. We have an access that is wonderful, never to be taken for granted, but equally to be used, not to be doubted. Through whom we have access into this grace in which we stand. We're confirmed in that grace. He will not withdraw it. It's not one that a true believer can fall away from. It is grace to stand in and to enjoy to the full. Through whom we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have access into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God looking forward to the, the future fruit of our justification. We have something to look forward to, which affects the presence. And this glory, this future thing that Paul is speaking about, what, what is he speaking about? Is it a glory that belongs to God, that uh, is characteristic of God, or is he speaking about the glory that he gives to us that we sometimes call glorification when, when we are changed when uh, Jesus comes again. Really, it's, it's both things. We'll participate in the glory of God uh, at the end. The lost glory that we had when sin defaced 
uh, us in the fall will be restored to us so that once again we are what God intended us to be without any defect, without any imperfection, confirmed in righteousness, absolutely splendid, glorified. And this glorification will take place at the end when Jesus comes uh, and will demonstrate uh, in his coming a new creation, will bring into being a new creation, a glory that comes from God and points to God. We will have new resurrection bodies, we'll have new work to do that thrills us, that satisfies us, uh, work that will never weary us, which will never fail to, uh, to elicit uh, satisfaction within us. We'll find new joys uh, in glory, which we have scarcely tasted down below. We'll live in perfect love. We will have a love which is perfected towards God, and we will have a love which is perfect towards the saints in glory. And God himself will be the focus of our delight in the new heaven and the new earth. All that the Psalms speak of in terms of delighting in God will become a glorious reality. People, the psalmist says in Psalm 36, take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Psalm 16, verse 11, you'll fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And God will be praised and therefore glorified in, in, the, in the glorification of his people and the creation. Uh, he'll be vindicated. Because remember the great lie is that uh, God does not wish our well-being. The great lie in Eden was that God was denying uh, Adam and Eve that which was good for them. That's why he was withholding the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at the last, God's plan will have come into effect and his, his purpose for his people will be vindicated. It will be shown that he has only ever desired their greatest good and their greatest good will be found in the presence of God. We will drink from the river of delights. And we have a hope of this future, uh, a hope which in the Bible is, is always a, a solid thing, a certain thing, not unwavering, but a hope that is certain because it is revealed to us in God's word and testified by God's spirit, his spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. And we rejoice in this. What we know about the future affects our emotional life now. We rejoice. It's a very strong word. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. Notice, Paul's not giving this as an exhortation here. He's not saying, uh, rejoice. He's not commanding us to rejoice. He's saying, this is a description of the Christian. The believer is someone who has a joy at the hope of the glory of God. He is a blessed man, a blessed woman, a joyful person. He rejoices particularly in hope. So, 
when we're renewed by the Holy Spirit, it's the whole person that's renewed. Our emotional life is renewed. God doesn't make us a frozen chosen uh, who are devoid of emotions. Nor does he leave us as people uh, who are being led by our emotions all the time. But the truth of the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit comes and it brings us a joy in our hearts which is shaped by the truth of God and the hope that we have set before us. A day of glorious hope. And all that we are experiencing now is preparation for that. Therefore, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what the natural condition of the Christian is. Somebody who's full of joy because he has a wonderful, certain hope confirmed right now, standing in a present grace, looking forward to a certain future hope and therefore with a joy within that defies all contrary outward appearances. That's what the world needs to see in the church. That's what we should be exhibiting to the, the world around us as we go into our workaday week. Uh, something of this joy because we have our eyes fixed upon that glory to be revealed. People around us, as we close, people around us are looking for uh, the kind of things that are mentioned here. They're looking for peace. They're looking for intimacy. They're looking for hope. And they're looking in all of the wrong directions. They're looking for these things in places which are variable, which go up and down. The stock exchange goes up and down like a yo-yo. They're looking for peace and intimacy and hope uh, in the, the report they get from their boss in, in their place of work. Or they're looking for hope in their, their, their waistline or what they see in the mirror. All of these things will let us down. But praise God, we have been placed into Christ. Through Christ we come home to the Father. We are his forever. These are, friends, the facts. The unalterable facts. And therefore, we allow the facts to shape our feelings and direct our actions. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. May God bless to us his precious word. Amen.